What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter with a rehabilitated voice <laughs> or voice that's rehabbing as we speak. It's, uh, boy, it was a rough weekend. Had a lot of football going on. Called the game Saturday. Did our game Sunday. So, uh, yeah, a little little uh, weary. Had a couple hours, obviously, radio this morning. But, yeah, woe is me. Uh, woe is me. Welcome in to the show. Appreciate you being here. We're going to hear from Andy Kalou and John McClain a little later in the show. But we're going to start off with Andre Ware. Before we get there, a little bit of Texans news. The Texans making transactions as, I guess, were to be expected in some sense. Uh, but the Texans made a waiver claim today. I think it's really interesting. Derek Barnett was released from the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he's in his seventh year. He's drafted in 2017. That was the uh, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Mitch Trubisky draft in 2017. Barnett was taken, I think, 15, 14 or 15 with the Philadelphia Eagles. He is 27 years old, and he was let go. Now, I know some of it's like, well, wow, okay. He's let go. Do you really want to take a look? Well, the Eagles are pretty much loaded, and they made a a draft pick in Nolan Smith to put on the outside um, in the first round. So they had probably an opportunity there to move on from Derek Barnett, who now is a Houston Texan. That is interesting. Now, give me a couple of things. Number one, you're just trying to get as many really good football bodies in the building. You can never have enough pass rushers. Could be that. Could be somebody banged up. We don't know. We'll find out a little bit more if it's injury-related on Wednesday, what the injury report ends up telling us. But we do know right now, Derek Barnett is a Houston Texan. Defensive end is seventh year out of Tennessee from the Philadelphia Eagles. The Texans have granted a two-day roster extension, uh, exemption excuse me, for Denzel Perryman. So DP coming back, that's good. Added to the linebacking core, added back. Um, he's had some tremendous football games for this team, especially against the run. So Denzel Perriman added back, and unfortunately the Texans have waived Matt Amendola, the kicker. Now, I know a lot of people ask me what about Kaimi. Kaimi was put on IR after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. He played Cincinnati, Arizona, yesterday's game against Jacksonville. That's three. So he's got one more game before he could be brought up to IR. He also would be, if this is the case, he would be the the eighth IR call up or return to service, and that would be the last one that Texas could do. So anybody else that's gotten that's been put on IR would end up having to stay on IR for the rest of the year. The Texans will have used eight if Kaimi is indeed brought back up after this week's game against Denver. That would be the fourth game he'd be eligible to come back, eligible to return the following week against the New York Jets. So Matt Amendola waived Denzel Perryman back to the roster. You got two day exemption to figure out. What they've got, what they're going to do there, and Derek Barnett added to the roster as a waiver claim. It's interesting because I saw that this afternoon. Saw Derek Barnett was was uh, waived from the Eagles. I thought mm, this is interesting. Yeah, maybe this is something to take a look at. And lo and behold, found out this afternoon Derek Barnett is a Texan. All right, let's get all that behind us, all the transaction news behind us, and jump in with our good pal Andre. Where we had a lot to talk about with Dre. We had some fun this morning, including. If you were to wear a jersey at a tailgate, what Texans player would it be? I saw a very interesting one, uh, intriguing one. Uh, 
kind of crazy one. I don't know. But take a listen to this conversation. Andre, Mark, and me. So much to get into. How do you interpret basically what happened yesterday with that close but mm, didn't get it game? Yeah, it's, you know, it just felt like you could never get the car in gear uh, to go fast enough to win the race. That That's kind of how it felt where you just stuck in a certain place and it never just got going where it was, uh, everything felt smooth. There were just, it was a choppy performance. I thought on both sides, there were good times on, on, uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, and then you throw in the third aspect of it, the, the uh, special teams and, I'll just leave it right there with what happened at the end of the game. So it it was just an inconsistent across the board performance. Yeah, and Dre, when it comes to special teams, you have twelve guys on the punt return team on the final punt. Uh, you have to take a timeout. I mean, thank God you had a timeout to take at that point, so you didn't get the twelve men yeah. on the field penalty, but you had that. Uh, you know, it was you're, you're right. It's a, it's a shared um, uh, a shared responsibility loss uh, from everybody. Dre, we've kind of talked about this um, kind of all morning, and you obviously play the position, so you know it better than, than Mark and I, and you know the feel that it takes to play that position. Yesterday, do you feel like the pass protection was not so good? Do you feel like, okay, CJ kind of moved sometimes, but maybe he had the right protection? You know, CJ had some time to throw. How do you kind of feel about the pass protection in front of CJ yesterday? Yeah, I would equate it. Pass protection, I would equate to uh, boxers, a, a big boxing match, you know, where uh, styles make fights. So it's going to be different from week to week. It'll be better at some, in some instances because some teams just don't have across the board good pass rushers. And then you're going to have a team that has one great one and some that are okay. So you might be able to hold up if you if you're helping out or chipping to get out. And then you have – some that just have worker bees, and that's kind of how Jacksonville is. I mean, Josh Allen is a really, really good player. I don't know that I would tab him as a superstar yet. He's trending that way, though. Um, but across the board, they have a good group, and that group posed uh, problems at times for the pass protection or the offensive line of the Texans. And so when you do that, it's going to obviously affect the quarterback because he's moving and, and CJ had to play a different style of game. And I, I would uh, hence to, to believe that he doesn't prefer to play it that way, though he'll play anyway. But if you can sit back there and just, you know, pick your teeth and, and, uh, and, and survey coverage, then that's the way you prefer to play it. But yeah, they Jacksonville poses some problems. It's why they're one of the better pass rush teams uh, in the league is because they've got they've got pass rush across the board. Dre, the Texans are ninth in the league against the run. Good, good, much better than previous years. But they're twenty seventh against the pass, and Jacksonville hit some huge chunk plays, and also they had the thousand paper cuts quick pass game going with Trevor Lawrence getting the ball out fast. What about the pass defense and what needs to happen to improve? And it's not just pressure, right? Because it's hard to get pressure on a guy who gets rid of the ball that quickly. What do you think about that? I think I'd prefer the paper cuts over the gashes. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, when you look at it, I mean, uh, it was just the opposite in past years, right? Where the run defense was was the problem and the pass defense was, was better. Uh, mm. This way, you see it. It's glaring. 
but you, you obviously strive to have it both ways to be able to, to defend the run and the pass. But uh, there, there were just some matchups yesterday that didn't favor the Texans, especially in the past game where uh, you knew certain individuals were going to be picked on, and now it's on film. So <laughs> the rest of the league season, and the, so does the rest of your schedule. So you got to be careful in how, uh, how you match up going, down, going, uh, going forward. Okay, Dre, I'm going to ask this because it just is kind of the opportunity to vent if you choose to. The officiating from yesterday. I, I've said it all morning. Look, there are a lot of plays in that game that could have been made, but that's one of the one of the most egregiously bad officiating bad. performances that I've seen. Go ahead and vent about the officials. Yeah, it's uh, it was it, it was bad. Let me just say that. And I, I rarely come away from a game where I feel like the officials have had some type of effect on the outcome because I think calls just kind of even themselves out across the board. Uh, I might, you know, I don't, I don't know that I feel that way when I'm coaching basketball games because I want every call, but <laughs> that's just my nature. But uh, it, it's, it just kind of happens that way across the board in the football game. So, but yesterday had a different feel to it. Yesterday had a really, really bad uh, feel, and it had a bad feel when I was leaving, and it just has stuck around uh, a day later. And so when, when that happens, then you know it was really, really bad. And uh, I, I think that officiating crews, behind the scenes, they're, they're going to have to explain some things to their higher-ups. Would you be in favor of challenges on just about everything? Just challenges, not automatic reviews, challenges on just about everything. We already get the automatic for the scoring plays and for the turnovers. What would you think of that, or are you not in favor of that? No, I, I think I'm in favor of it because if you've got, if you have the technology, use it. Uh, if it just, if it's about getting it right, let's get it right. And uh, it's okay for the officials to be wrong and then correct it. And so uh, I think, because I think a lot of that is going into uh, that not becoming a rule and the fact that it may extend the game X amount of minutes. Well, let's try it in the preseason. And uh, if it airs out, let's, you know, go ahead and, uh, and float it into the regular season. But I, I think there's some some things that should be challenged. Some, quite honestly, I don't know why, uh, aren't uh, challengeable issues right now within the game. Dre, I know we haven't been paying too much attention to the Broncos. Uh, I know I haven't. I've kind of been focused on one game at a time. I've kind of seen them from afar, but... Russell Wilson, what'd you say his numbers? 20 and four, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions thus far. Mm. Uh, it's a live wire coming in here on Sunday, Dre. Um, what are your th- early thoughts about Russell Wilson in particular, kind of rejuvenating his career thus far? He didn't have a great game against the Browns yesterday, and there have been a couple of games where he didn't do great things. But it's hard to argue with the numbers that he's put up, and he's got them six and five for this massive one. Your thoughts about Russell kind of rejuvenating things in Denver? Can I tell you what I hope for as opposed to what I really think what might happen? Yes, yes. <laughs> Go for it. No, but uh, well, I'm hoping for he comes in here and he's the Russell Wilson that uh, that took over last year or, uh, yeah. for, the, for that matter, the, the start of this season when he and Sean Payton were off to a rocky start. But what, what we're really going to get is a guy that is starting to perform at a level that he has been 
which is consistent with uh, with how his career has gone. And that's that's he's taking care of the football. He's starting to understand. And I tell you guys all the time, when you have to go learn a new offense as a quarterback, it is extremely tough. The terminology, starting to understand what routes go with what coverages and where the checks come from. How do I protect myself? as well in protection, all of that stuff. And now I got to name it something and forget all the stuff that I've been playing with for the last eight to 10 years. And so that's what went on last year. Then all of a sudden you roll Sean Payton in, here comes the new offense again. That's what, that's what was wrong with Russell Wilson. Now he's been in that same offense for a while and it's starting to get comfortable with, he's getting comfortable with it. That's what's coming. Uh, along with some pretty good playmakers and a nasty defense. So here comes another tough opponent. Whereas when you looked at the schedule earlier in the year, you thought, oh, this is one that I can get right with. That's not, that's no longer the case. I think, all right, here's my instant analysis. You guys react, all right, Dre, you go first. This team, this Bronco team, I have completely deep-dived on them in about five minutes this morning, so I know everything there is to know. <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> Teams have been running on them a lot. You can run on the Broncos. They've been giving up a lot of yards. Russell Wilson's thrown for about 200 a game, a little bit less than that. They sometimes run the ball well. What they're doing is taking the ball away furiously. There were three Cleveland fumbles yesterday lost. I think there were five overall, and three were lost. Do I have that right? Something of that nature. Yeah, five fumbles, and they lost three, the Browns. Way to go, Browns. And Denver capitalized. They are an opportunistic takeaway team. You got to take care of the ball, and you should be okay, but you got to play better than you did yesterday. Thoughts? I agree with what you're saying. Um, uh, you, you covered it pretty well in, within five minutes. If, if you deep dived on all See? of that in five minutes, they're going to invite me into the room today. Yeah, that's a heck of a job. They're, they should. <laughs> they should put you in on the game plan. No doubt about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it's just a team that. Uh, it, you know, there are teams that are going to give up certain aspects of uh, of a game where statistically it, it just looks like, oh, they're going, you know, you should be able to do this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden you get to game day and it's not that way. Well, that's where the adjustments have to happen. And the good coaching staffs make the adjustments to keep their teams in games. Um, and it happens from week to week. There's always an adjustment to an adjustment. Uh, where one coach, one sideline is doing one thing and the other is going to adjust to it. it. It's it's a fun give and take. It's a fun – it's why coaches get so emotionally involved for those 17 weeks of the season. And it's that way in Denver. Look how it started for them and how they're playing now. And, and they're starting to be – well, they're at a point where they're able to enjoy the fruits of, of all of it. So I, you just got to enjoy it from week to week and not put a whole lot – we can look – I would say it all the time, we can look ahead, but coaches can't because of how ch- teams change from week to week. Especially in this league, there's no doubt. I mean, in college, yeah. you can kind of gloss over – in certain conferences, you can gloss over a couple of games like, all right, we're playing, you know, Pestigo State. Like, okay, we should pound them. Mm-hmm. But then again, yep. you know, we've got our rival coming up in a couple weeks. Okay, we got to get up for it in this league. I mean, it's the one thing we've talked with coaches that, you know, we talked with O'Brien about this for a long time. He's like, you know, he said the same thing. Like, hey, you've got a couple of layups that you can just get through. Mm. And I thought about this walking in the building uh, today about how hard it is to win a game. Because I saw 
Maybe. I don't know what time. I got walked in the building about 6.45, and I saw, you know, a few of our uh, equipment guys were out there picking up some equipment and bringing it back in at 6.45 in the morning. And, and I, I realized, you know, Coach, O'Brien, or Coach Ryans has said this. People have said this. It's so hard to win in the NFL. And what I've realized that what it is is everybody during the week in this building gives so much of themselves to get players ready to prepare them, the players to prepare. Just to coaching, get to game day. Just to get to game day. I've said it before. It takes so much it's just so to much. show up and lose. Yeah. Yeah. Just to show yeah. up and, right. and play okay. and lo- Just to p- be mediocre takes a ton of work. Right. Never mind win. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no question. I mean, that's that's kind of my, my thought on that. Okay, this is kind of an odd question for both of you. I've I was I've been firing through some of the, the Instagram stuff, and I saw – I saw one of the posts from our, our Instagram, Texans Instagram, and they were out at a tailgate. And I'm always fascinated by this. Okay, so this is kind of off the wall. If you guys could go to a tailgate, we weren't calling a game, and we could go to a tailgate, and you could wear one Texans player jersey, past, present, whatever, to a tailgate, which huh. player would it be? Dre. It's a layup. I know. It's a layup. I knew it. You know which one I'm putting on. I know. I know. Just go ahead and say it. Just tell I everybody. Bet all of our listeners already know which jersey I'm wearing. Say it. Red and white. <clears throat> On Cullen. Wearing number three. <laughs> yeah, Tank I know. Dale, baby. Yeah. All day that long, was, Tank Dale. I knew that was, I knew it was going to happen. Mark, well, you what know would mine. Be? There's only one Texans jersey I will ever wear. Yeah. And that is a deep steel blue, number 80. 80. Yeah. That is it. Okay. Andre Johnson is the only Texans jersey. That's it for me. For yeah. me. Okay? Yeah. I love See, him, and that's school, my jersey. Yeah, he's old right. school, love new school. And I love them all. You know I love all these players. They're my kids. I yeah. love them all. But yeah. that's my jersey. So, and I look at this tailgate. Happens. Both, both, both guys we chose are receivers. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I looked at this tailgate. And someone was wearing a DJ Swearinger number 36 jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just struck me as, is there anybody else that you could possibly have picked yeah. any worse? But, oh you know, he brought God. it once upon a time, and they're expensive, and I get I it. Know, okay? I get it, I But guess. we should do those jersey switches, not out of uh, disrespect for DJ Swag with four Gs, but, you know, sometimes you want to upgrade. Dre, let's get into this. Frank Reich dismissed by the Carolina Panthers. He's gone. What do you think? Yeah, I kind of have a a, a little, I wouldn't say inside look, but somewhat of one, Mm -hmm. obviously working with their play-by-play guy every every single week. And so you kind of start to get the feel that this could happen. And sometimes it's amazing to me just how stubborn certain coaches are at times and, and reluctant to change and, they had, you know, Frank had given uh, one of his assistants play calling duties. Three weeks later, he took them back, and they'd beaten us. The first time they, they'd done it was when they played us and were able to beat the Texans. And then two weeks later, he takes it back. And so it's like you're glutton for punishment because that's what the owner wanted. And so give them what they want. And But Frank couldn't do that. He takes them back, and then all of a sudden they're, they're still as bad as they ever were. And uh, obviously we get to a point where we are today. It's unfortunate. I think he's a heck of an offensive coordinator, but obviously that those types don't make uh, head coaches all the time. Can I interest you in a stat? Yes. 
between his MLS and NFL teams, oh David Tepper has fired four head coaches in the last 18 months. Mm. Yeah. Which you goes know, to your point earlier that I was saying about him being a hedge fund manager. Yeah. You said stock down, stock sell. down, out. You yeah. know, like there's a there's a very scientific sort of way of going through that. Uh, Dre, as we transition, your alma mater uh, will have a new football coach in 2024 and beyond as Dana Horgerson yep. is relieved of his duties as it was announced by the university. Oh, ask him the question. At Dre, are Uh-oh. you interested? Yeah. Are you interested? <laughs> Yeah, are you interested? Come on, Dion. Of course I'm interested. Let's go, man. Let's go build a little here. And uh, obviously, yeah, man. Just bring me in for an interview. I got my whole book ready to go. But uh, in all seriousness, it's it's unfortunate whenever, you know, coaches lose jobs or guys are dismissed that you know. Mm. I wish Dana the best. Um, He gave us some some high rides. and, And, you know, obviously there's, you can't lose to the likes of Rice and and uh, and, and mm. certain certain uh, programs and and still be there. And that's just how yeah. it was. I think at the end of it, <clears throat> you can't boast a little too much that certain things won't happen. I think I read something that uh, it's impossible for it to happen until it happens. And uh, <laughs> just always live in the present and not uh, what you as an individual think that uh, won't happen. So it, it happens. It happened, and he'll land on his feet because he's a heck of a football coach. He'll be, uh, at the very least, calling plays for somebody soon. Yep. yep. So he does, he's got a hefty buyout, too, where he doesn't have to do a whole lot too fast. And this is a good job, Dre. This is a great, a great situation for somebody. It's, it's a great job facilities-wise. You're going to be able to compete there. And, yes, you have to compete there. Uh, I think a CEO-type is needed where a staff coaches and with NIL and all of that, that's, that's how, that's what a head coach in college football is. U of H is on that level now where it's that kind of job. It's no longer a, a resume job where you're about coming here and you're going to bounce to somewhere else. It's a place that you can stay for a very, very long time because of the conference in which you compete in uh, and, and the city in which you're going to be able to drive to work in uh, every every day it's it's one it's a place that once you're here you want to stay and uh, if you just win you'll be here a long time because uh, you know the fans of that program will love you it's a great point you just sold me on the job I want it now I'm not qualified <laughs> but that's a good job that's a great coaching job uh, Dre and Johnny here tax act Texas Bowl here is the pundit projection Texas A&M and Kansas State. That seems to be the consensus. If it turns out to be that, that sounds pretty good to me for NRG Stadium on December 25th. What do you think? I can guarantee you everybody that has their hands on the bowl, that bowl game, <clears throat> that one they're pulling for. Uh, they may not say that publicly, but behind the scenes, yes, because that's going to fill the place. Kansas State travels exceptionally well, and they've got one heck of a football team with a great coach. Uh, A&M obviously in transition and that in the coaching department, but they're, well, obviously not anymore. They hired Mike Elko. Uh, yeah. who we kind of felt like weeks ago that would happen. Right, Johnny? That's right. Right. Kind of felt Wait, like you, they you would guys go, did what the yeah, morning that like we that found out be the guy. Yeah. Dre and I were sitting there at a table with Robert. We we're having our breakfast in Cincinnati. We were at Paycor stadium mm-hmm. and that was when it was announced. And I said to Dre, you know, timing wise, I was like, Elko told him, yes. 
Wow. I felt yeah, like it what was about Stoops? Yeah. What about the Stoops situation? I, that was weird. I don't know. Smoke and I, I mirrors. Did, yeah, smoke, smoke and mirrors. mirrors right there. That, that was, feels like that was to go ahead and get the get the okay faster. That, yeah, that's, that's exactly all that is. right. There's always there always oh. has to be another guy floating in the you know that you have in your bag. You really don't want him, but it's a big enough name to get the guy you want to say hurry up and say yes. Yeah. So that, my that wife happens at a lot of jobs. My wife went on a date <laughs> with this dude that I didn't like. And really, she did. She forced my hand. She went on a date with this dude. I was like, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be going out with him. A week later, I had my first date with Paige. So it's exactly right. You entice with somebody yeah. else. And so I think that's what they did. They Dre, got Elko's attention. Dre, if I'm Mark Stoops, I don't want to leave Kentucky anyway. If I win nine games a year at Kentucky, I'm in uh, – I'm in great shape, right? Nine, ten wins. But he's making for yeah. nil money, we, and that's tough. We, we would think we think that way, but we also, as the coaches, think a different way. And it's all about competing. It's yeah. all about uh, being able to turn around it's the true. bigger, yeah. baddest program or the biggest, baddest player. You know, this guy could. You know, this staff couldn't get this out of this player. I can, or I can go do this for this program. Um, they don't. They think a little bit differently than we do. And so uh, it's, it's all about what I just described for most coaches. Guys, am I crazy in thinking if I'm Auburn, I got to rush more than three at the end oh, there. I got to make him throw the ball a little uh, bit. He, it was a turkey shoot. I know it was a hell of a throw, but they gave him all day to think about it. He could go back there, do his tax return, think about where he wants to throw the ball. All right, now I am ready to throw the football. There's no pressure. There's no rushing the internal clock of Milrow. I don't think they approached that the right way. No, absolutely not. And if there's one guy that's beating himself up over it, excuse me, is Hugh Freeze because, uh, you know, he just he, – he coaches every game like it's his last. And he would he would go – He I guarantee he's being honest with the, with the media there and telling them how much he would go back and change things if, if obviously he could. But, yeah, unfortunate because mm-hmm. it might have forced the ball out of Miro Rose's hands a little bit faster. Uh, he had all day because he could have eaten a picnic – had a picnic back there. And then mm-hmm. threw a dart to finish the thing off. That was amazing. Thing about it was Auburn was getting pressure on him a, a lot of the day. Yeah, just their normal, you yeah. know, three four man rush. They were getting pressure on him. So I, I man, I, I hate that. And the thing is, okay, he can scramble. They're thirty one yards yeah. away from the yeah. end zone. You got fast guys in defense. Yeah. Somebody will go make a tackle Have a before approach. he gets in the end zone if he decides to to bail out of there. So. Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was that was rough to because say the least. everybody who's not an Alabama fan was rooting for Auburn that day. And didn't they lose to New Mexico State the week the week before? before thir- not, not just lose, they lost by three touchdowns. Freaking crazy! Y'all it's killing the nuts. fighting Jerry kills, man. New Mexico yeah. State had one heck of a season this year. But they lost I mean, to UMass though. They're, hey, they're d- like, but the New Mexico's like nine and three this year. They've had a heck amazing. of a run. Yeah, yeah they've been New Mexico State. Absolutely, yeah. that's amazing. Jerry Kill has been one of the more underrated coaches. Yeah, everybody loves in him. the last twenty to twenty-five years. He was great at Minnesota. Where he goes, yes, yeah, and, he's been. You good. go there, Johnny. I I was there. What was it? Two years ago, maybe even last year. And you walk away thinking, how the hell are they going to win here? Right. But for some some way, somehow, he's been able to do it, and he's done it every single where he's gone. He's got a plan. He sticks to it. He coaches hard. He's mm-hmm. not for the faint of heart, but he's going to coach your son hard. 
and he's going to get the most out of them. And that's that's what he's mm-hmm. done there. You put a schedule together, and they wind up nine and three, which at that place is one hell of a job. Dre, do you get to stay home this weekend until the Texans play? No, I don't. I wish, Mark, but uh, I've got to go to Detroit, the MAC championship game. Uh, Miami University in Ohio Ooh, is playing Toledo, who mm-hmm. their Ooh. head coach is on everybody's radar, it yep. seems like, but it seems as though he's not going anywhere. He, lo- he just loves it there. And uh, he's built one heck of a program. So I'm anxious to see what it's about. It's indoors. So I'm all right mm-hmm. with going to Detroit this time of year <laughs> with, with it being in a dome. I'll get some good uh, pizza and some uh, some good Cajun food up there as well at uh, at this restaurant I frequent while I'm there. You might see future Texans cornerback Quinion Mitchell, number oh, 27. Really? Oh, really? Stud. So they got to uh, drive into Michigan to play this championship mm-hmm. when yeah. Miami's in Ohio That's a and good Oxford. Game. And, That's, yeah, I right. mean, championship weekend's pretty good. That's no, a good, good game. It's good. It's good, good, good game. One. Dre, looking forward to Sunday. Thanks so much for the time. All right, guys. We'll talk later. Yeah, man, Quinion Mitchell, stud. That's going to be fun for Dre to get a chance to get up close look at him. Uh, very well could be a top 40, top 32 pick in the draft. Good size, good speed, productive player at Toledo, Toledo-Miami. A lot of good championship weekend games. Uh, throughout and not all the big conferences. I mean, athletic. I mean, athletics is a good conference, but it's not a Power Five conference. Tulane, SMU. That's a heck of a game as long as Preston Stone, quarterback for SMU, can play. So uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit uh, throughout this week. College football really hitting its stride with championship week, and then bowl system, bowl season is going to be fun. And then, of course, the playoff announced this weekend, as well as the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Which I'm guessing K-State A&M. That's my guess, and I'm sticking to it. All right, Andy Kalou is going to join us next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to talk to our guy, Andy Kalou. Felt bad because Mark and I are just yammering away at each other this morning, and, and Andy is just sitting there holding the line, just waiting to talk to us, and obviously we are waiting to talk to him. Here's what he had to say. Your general thoughts on what you saw yesterday, close but no cigar against the Jacksonville Jaguars for first place in the division. When I watched the game and obviously the way they lost it, I was down, I was upset. But then when I had a chance to really think about it, when I had a chance to look at the big picture, let me first say there are no moral victories and you play every single game to win. But I forgot. I can't speak for everybody else, fellas, but I forgot Jacksonville, is one of the top teams in the NFL. You know, we're so used to Jacksonville, AFC South foe. Uh, the Texans beat them early on in the season. When you look at Jacksonville and their record, only two teams have a better record than the Jacksonville Jaguars, and their losses are quality losses. They only lost to the Texans, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, and the San Francisco 49ers, like, you know, the best teams in the league. So I felt like we lost to a very good, formidable opponent. But the way it happened, you're going to be disappointed. But I'm still so excited about what the Texans could accomplish this year. And y'all talked about C.J. Stroud. I mean, he's here. He's arrived. I always like to give quarterbacks a year and a half before I say, ah, they're a bust or they're going to be great or they're going to be average. But, man, just what he's done in these 11 games, even in the losses, you can't help but be excited. He's such a mature scrambler. When I was watching that game yesterday, I was thinking to myself, as a rookie, He's playing the way they hoped Lamar Jackson would play. He's playing the way and using his legs and athleticism the way they hoped RG3 would use it. And he's doing that as a rookie. So 
The loss sucks. You want it to be a top of the division, but I'm still excited when I look at the big picture with these Houston Texans. Indy, I know you probably didn't watch, you know, Juice Scruggs in particular, but just up front, the Jaguars really, yeah, they took it to the Texans offensive line. They had some really good scheme things that they ended up doing. Um, how does the offensive line, how does the, the, the offense in general just bounce back from this and give CJ the confidence that he can be in the pocket and stay in the pocket and deliver without kind of feeling the rush the way that he was getting it yesterday from, uh, from Jacksonville? You know how you feel better about an offensive line the following week? You don't play Josh Allen again. I mean, yeah, Josh Allen is one of the more underrated edge rushers. And, and I, you know, I'm halfway joking because every week you're going to play against a great defensive end. But he's he's one of the better ones, and he showed why he's a top five uh, sacker as far as the sack numbers. He's a very very good. Even on the stunts in the games, it wasn't that they just called great games. I mean, he had a stunt where he was coming inside, and he still put on a rip move on the offensive guard. I believe it wasn't the center of the guard, so. He still a good, does a great job with technique. But, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to have uh, protection breakdown. You're going to have guys lose one-on-one battles. You just have to make sure you consistently stop their players. It's Josh, to me, when I walked away from that game, Josh Allen stood out for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And when they take on the Denver Broncos, there's, gonna also, there's also going to be a great edge player when they play them. But I feel like that with the week of practice, knowing who's going to be your starting offensive line, knowing that the games are coming, they can continue to get better and protect C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud bought a lot of time with his legs, and I felt a lot of times when he was scrambling around, he didn't have to, but it bought him an extra two seconds. So I didn't watch that game thinking that the offensive line just had a horrible game. Andy, unless the Texans play the Jaguars in the postseason, they will get through this campaign without having sacked Trevor Lawrence. No sacks yesterday, no sacks in the first meeting, and that was a lopsided Texans victory. He gets the ball out so fast. What gives with that? Because you felt like you bottled up the run game enough, but Lawrence gets the ball out quickly. I know they capitalized on a couple of screens big time. Your thoughts on what they weren't able to do with Trevor Lawrence, was, which was get a ton of pressure on him. You're right. Not only did they not get the sacks, but you didn't see too many quarterback hits. And I'm not comparing him to Dan Marino, but with that quick release, it reminds me just if we're just talking mm-hmm. the category of quick releases, it reminds me of Dan Marino. I remember early in my career, late in his career, Dan Marino's career, as soon as I would get out of my stance and I'm thinking I have a great pass rush move, he's already throwing the ball. He's already letting it go. And you saw a lot of that from Trevor Lawrence. Like he's a guy that he relies and he appreciates his offensive lineman, but he's also going to use that quick release. He's also going to put the ball in his playmaker's hands, the Christian Kirks, the Calvin Ridley, right away, three-step drop, release the ball. Look at your first option, your second option, then release the ball. So, it, look, Will Anderson still played well. I'm sure John Harris saw some of the one-on-one moves mm-hmm. of Will Anderson beating the offensive lineman, but with that quick release, there's only so much you can do. So in a situation like that, Mark, you have to make the quarterback continue to have that quick release. You can't let him sit in that pocket and pat the ball two, three times and get overly comfortable. You just have to give credit to Trevor Lawrence for getting that quick release and and throwing the ball as soon as he sees that his options open. I need to stop the show right here and reflect on ND facing Dan Marino and just soak that in for a moment. 
Okay, we can continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all right. I mean, it, that's you know what? After I hit him, I asked him for his autograph after the game. <laughs> he, <just ignored> <laughs> he literally just ignored me. Like, who, who is this peasant talking to me? <laughs> in in uh, in the current days, you would probably ask for his jersey at some point. Uh, and here's yeah. the thing, too, with the, with the pass rush, you knew you couldn't play man because they look. That's a ta- that's a talented wide receiver core. There's no doubt, Indy. When you play a big game like that. And there's a lot built up. And look, we weren't in the in the locker room all week. We don't know exactly how D'Amico was. You know, this is the game of the year. No, we, we were probably doing that on radio. And they were probably like, look, it's the next game. You just, and it's a division opponent, et cetera. As a player, when you lose a game and you know, you know full well, man, we did not play our best. But that's a crushing blow. Okay, the division's probably away. How as a player do you kind of take all that in on Monday to get ready for another big game like you're going to have against Denver and get yourself like jacked back up, if you will, to get to take on the Broncos next Sunday. You know, and again, I can't speak for every player and obviously every individual player is a little bit different, but typically the guys aren't looking at the big picture. Like they're upset that they lost to a division foe. They're upset that they lost to a good team in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like you mentioned, they didn't play their best game. You know, we saw two weeks of Devin Singletary getting 100-plus yards uh, per game, and I think he, he had less than 20 yards. I don't remember the exact number, but less than 20 yards yesterday. And Damian Pierce still didn't have the game that we're used to seeing him from his rookie year. So they didn't play their best ball. But, uh, John, I don't think they're thinking like big picture, like, oh, man, we had a chance to uh, be number one in the division. Now we're number two, and now our wild card position isn't as great. It's just one game at a time. They're upset right now, as you and I are talking about it, they're upset. But this evening, tomorrow, is on to Denver. And if you're sitting there licking your wounds too long, you're going to have more wounds to lick when you take on the Denver Broncos because, for whatever reason, it seems like the Denver Broncos realize how to play some football. You know, they're winning some games. Uh, They just beat Cleveland, and they've had – I don't know what their win streak, but they're playing some pretty good football as of late. So you can't let it linger too too long. And they don't look at it like us as fans, as analysts look at it, and how damning that loss was as far as the positioning going into playoffs. They know they're still in the hunt. They know they still have a chance, and that's all they need to get excited. All right, I'm going to say something. I want both of you to react to it. And that is a couple of things here. One, we need cameras stationed in every NFL building. They demand you play these games in an NFL stadium because of certain technology that has to be there for every NFL game. Well, it's time to double down, triple down, quadruple down, and invest in cameras that are going to be stationed in every NFL stadium so you have better looks for replay. You have to have better looks. And... I can complain all day about officiating or whatever, and I know it evens out over the... I hope it evens out over the course of a season. I didn't think it evened out yesterday, but that's besides this point. For both sides, you need it to be called right. Then, I really want to have challenges available to review almost anything in a game. Challenges, all right? Just the way you do it. Now, you get automatic reviews on turnovers. You get automatic reviews inside two minutes. You get automatic reviews on scoring plays. So allow us, meaning every NFL team, to challenge other calls along the way. Thoughts, and do you go first? You know what? The only reason I don't like that, Mark, I feel like it will slow the game down. And you did mention this, uh, but I, I like the human effect. I mean, there were some calls that you're saying, oh, come on, refs, you're, you're, you're screwing the Texans. But if we're going to be real, 
there were some calls against the Jacksonville Jaguars or non-calls, the Derek Stingley interception. I remember watching that and thinking, oh, that's going to be, uh, you know, that's yeah. going to, uh, what's the word, be reversed because uh, there was a holding on that, defensive holding. And, they and it would have been it. with a challenge. Yeah, so I, I'm just okay with, with the human effect. And I'll never forget the great Jim Johnson, may so rest in peace, our defensive coordinator when I was in Philly. When a game comes down to one or two calls, then he would always say, y'all didn't do y'all's job to allow one or two calls to sway the game. And we really had to look in the mirror. So he basically was telling us, you need to beat an opponent so bad that the rest bad calls doesn't factor into the outcome. And I know that sounds good and, you know, that's just player talk, but I do believe in that. So I, I actually appreciate uh, the way they do the challenges. It doesn't slow the game down too too much. And it puts the onus on the players to make sure that they beat the team soundly enough to where one or two or three bad calls doesn't change the outcome. That was my exact thought and has been my exact thought for a very, very long time. There are a lot of ref calls that I will argue with, but I will tell you at the end of the day, it's not the officials. It's never the officials. No matter what, there are 150 plays in an NFL game, a lot more, or maybe about the same in college now. I don't know. They've changed the rules. Anyway, either way, the officials did not cost the Texans the game. You can miss me with that. That was not great. It was not great. It was a poorly officiated game, but the officials did not cost the Texans that game. The Texans cost the Texans that game. All right, let's talk to the general, John McClain, next right here at Texans All Access. One more segment this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. Sorry for the raspy voice, but we'll get it back. We'll get it back sometime this week, I hope, um, at some point, maybe by the time we get to December, which is, again, sometime this week as we get ready for the Denver Broncos. But right now, we're getting ready for the General John McClain joining us right now. General, yesterday, your assessment of the game, and then we'll talk about the Broncos coming in here Sunday at noon. You're doing well. Uh, I thought when they went ahead 14-13, they were going to win. I thought when they got the ball at the end, they would win or force overtime. It's amazing to me that the Texans lost this game by three on a field goal that hit the crossbar with 29 seconds left, the seventh consecutive game decided by 30 or fewer seconds. And the offensive line played a terrible game, couldn't run block, couldn't pass protect in crucial moments. They get defense gave up four pass plays of 42 or more yard. Trevor Lawrence, second most prolific game in his career, his best of the season. And I never complain about the officials. That's some of the worst officiating I've seen, including against the Jaguars because Jalen Petrie clearly held on Derek Stingley Jr.'s mm-hmm. interception. It wasn't called, but I thought it was great. Before the game, Warren Sharp of Sharp Football pointed out that the Texans' defense is second in the NFL in defensive pass interference penalties. The Jaguars' offense, number one, at drawing pass interference penalties. And Clay Martin's crew, three of the last five years, among the top five in calling defensive pass interference. And they had three on third down and a hold on third down. It was phantom. I thought it was the worst officiated game of the year. I thought that play that Tank Dell made the great play on the sideline last night online. I saw all these pictures that were close-ups, magnified, that showed he got both feet down. 
But they looked at it, the, the announcers looked at it, all thought he didn't, but it was just all around a poorly officiated game. And C.J. Stroud played great, of course, overcame the lack of a running game and the protection issues, and they still go to the wire on that game. And this one Sunday is going to be great because Russell Wilson's playing well. They've won five in a row. And the Broncos have forced 15 turnovers in their last four games. And during their five-game winning streak, they've allowed fewer touchdowns than they allowed against the Dolphins when they gave up 70 points. Oh, I'm glad General brought this up because, yeah, the officiating was bad. But I know that I've seen a lot of people talk about that holding and they said, oh, that wasn't holding, it wasn't holding. It was not holding on the guy they called. They oh. said Steven Nelson. It was a blatant hold, but you got to look inside to see it. It is a blatant hold, but they just called on the wrong guy. Steven Nelson was, was not the guy that held. They just called the wrong number. Oh, but okay. I can promise you it was holding. All right. That one was legit, but I just want to make sure everybody understands that because when they show Steven Nelson and Nelson is on TV and he's looking around like, what the, you know, what's going on? It wasn't on him. They just called the wrong number, but it was. Well, how do you know it wasn't on him? As bad because, as they were. Because I, I got two eyes, John. I can see the holding happening in real time. But maybe they missed it. Yeah, maybe but they, they might have missed that like one and called it on so Nelson many. anyway. But I'm telling you, that yeah. was not it. They, I've seen holding. I know what holding is. Why can't they get the number right? Because well, how hard is miss, that? You, they're running the same route in the same area, and the guy throws the flag from behind. And it, it, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I saw. I know is a Come holding. Come on, we're trying to lambaste the officials. Join the party, Johnny. I know. Jeez, I, 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 could, I saw that. Okay. I knew right away. I told you right away they were going to call holding. But then when they called the wrong number, I'm like, oh boy, because I knew the holding was on was not on Nelson. I could tell well, that. I, that I promise you. Who was it on? Who Johnny? was it Go on? Ahead. Out him. It's all right. We all got the tape. It was the same guy that had a lot of pass interference penalties throughout the game. All right, we got it. They so felt I sorry to stay for away from that. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that said, John, what's the one thing, the biggest thing, that needs to change going into this Denver Broncos game? One thing on each side of the ball, they have to run the ball better, like they did in the two previous games. The Broncos have not played good run defense. And they got to keep stop giving away explosive plays. They've done that now too many times in recent games. And when you're missing three of your top four safeties, it's understandable that they would give up a couple. But man, it's too many. They need Jimmy Ward back in the worst way. And we said last week. I know on my pregame appearance, they always ask me for a player upgrade. And I said, C.J. Stroud, he can't keep turning the ball over and throwing interceptions. And he had no turnovers, and he played great and kept them in the game right up until the end. And I don't have a problem with D'Amico going with Amendola, even though he'd never made a 50-yard field goal because he 58 yards, you know, he had it right down the middle. It was a foot short. So I don't have an issue, although a lot of people complained and thought Stroud should have had the ball in his hands to go for it on fourth and 12. But uh, I don't have a problem with that decision at all. Yeah, that's a classic second guess right there. I was okay with it, too. Look, you missed it by inches, and we would have seen overtime, and who knows what happens then. And, you know, they had multiple chances to get the ball downfield. I was okay with it. I was just hoping it would go through, and it didn't. John, what about the Indianapolis Colts? Because – Don't say I didn't warn you about this, guys. I've been talking about them because I never ignore the horseshoe. Yep, those Colts. 
But that's week 18. We'll worry about them week 18. Right now, we've got to worry about the Denver Broncos. But a big thanks to Dre, to ND, to John McClain, to all of you for listening. We thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.